1: outpost podcast a proud member of the armchair all americans network it's september 28th 2020 this is tom coming to you from sawdust studios in the washington dc outpost nick joins me from the houston outpost on the heels of the steelers third win steelers 28 texans 21 in the immortal words emblazoned on the google search page nick are you feeling lucky
0: I'm feeling lucky because it's the first time that the Pittsburgh Steelers have started a season 3-0 and since their last Super Bowl appearance. We're not going to talk about what happened during that appearance, but they did make the Super Bowl last time they were 3-0. and So it's basically free money if you want to bet on the Steelers getting back to the Super Bowl because they're going to. So you should make that bet. You should make that bet a bet online. The weight is over. Football is back. It's in full swing, and if by the wait being over, you thought that I was referring to just waiting for football, no. I said that I'm waiting for Steelers glory, and here we are. You may not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. They're going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. You can get in. On their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on win division and championship futures now. I think they actually might be keeping some of that stuff open. Either that or we got a little bit of an old copy. But from what I hear, they're being a little bit lax based on the weirdness of this year. Head to betonline.ag today and take full advantage of all that great sign-up bonus. Little extra extra. Betonline.ag. Ching your online sportsbook experts.
1: Well, how are you feeling
0: about the game, Nick? I feel great. I think I feel almost identical to the way I felt after the first two games, which is, of course, it's sloppy. It has its moments of uh, you, you see individual players making huge plays, which is, to me, what I'm paying attention to. I'm looking at how has Ben progressing. How, is TJ going to win Defensive Player of the Year? Does he still look that way? Are we noticing to it? How's Connor? Is that ankle bothering him? How's Chuk going to f- uh, fare against one of the best defensive players in NFL history? Yes, I know J.J. Watt's not in his prime anymore, but he's still a beast. And Chuk Sikorafor holds him. Ba- well, he basically makes them relevant that game. So when I look at the players and I look at what's happening on the field, I feel great. Week to week, I think the players are getting more and more comfortable. I think, of course, it was sloppy. It's not like we're coming in there and dismantling people. And, uh, yes, you can say the cumulative record of our opponents at this point, I, I'm pretty sure, is 0-9. But, I mean, the Texans obviously get an asterisk for that, right? But we know. We've watched the Steelers. We've seen some of the most talented Steelers teams ever lose to uh, two-win teams with their backup quarterback in the beginning of the season. So when they're actually taking care of these as victories, I like what I'm seeing. And I'm not just taking them as a victory in a vacuum, right? We're looking at the player performance, and we're seeing great things uh, from the players individually. And I guess the last thing I'll wrap up with my just initial off-the-cusp thoughts is that The Steelers were tested. They were exposed in a big way, particularly in the secondary, when you had to play Deshaun Watson, who's just one of the best quarterbacks in the league as far as pushing the ball downfield, as far as escaping the pocket and evading sacks. And he really turned a lot of lights on for the Steelers. They made incredible adjustments and completely shut him down in the second half. So not only is that encouraging just because, you know, we didn't have a preseason, the secondary needed to get their feet wet That's what you like when the Steelers play Aaron Rodgers in the preseason, right? They get a chance to see some of these stud quarterbacks and stud passing attacks. Well, they got a chance to see that against Watson, so that's big just in general. But also, you know, as a Steelers fan, you're thinking about Lamar Jackson and that matchup that's coming down the pipeline. This is a great practice run for Lamar, even though they're slightly different players.
1: You took all my stuff, but I I will say this. As the first half progressed, I felt like a— like a Sunday night before a day of work that you were just miserable about. Yes. <laughs> and I got that feeling in the pit of my stomach because I just haven't, you know, it's, it's not often we see the Steelers just turn it around at halftime. And um, we have, as you pointed out, we've, we've managed to play down and lose some games we should win against some lowly ranked teams. But the Steelers did make adjustments and that second half was so overwhelming. And you know what? We're going to talk a little bit about this in a minute. I cannot pick a, an offensive, actually, a star of the game. I mean, the, the, the wealth was spread so evenly among the offensive players, it's really hard to pinpoint anybody.
0: Yeah, and there's, it's not like anybody on defense really went above and beyond either, but we can talk about a bunch of guys who made big plays, and I guess this is what it's like watching uh, team football. I mean, I think T.J. Watt has clearly you know, established himself as the major star. And you'd like to see some more from Minka. You'd like to see some more action from him. But I think that getting tested in the secondary this week will help him get his feet wet just individually a little bit. And they'll be able to figure that out. But I agree. Yeah, there's, it's not like there's one guy who stands out despite us... You know, talking about how, how good the individual players look, but there's a lot of guys who made a play here or there, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into those details when we get to the offensive and defensive sides of the ball, but all I know is that 3-0 and is big. They play the, you can never get ahead of yourself. Like I said, with the Steelers, it's not a joke. It's not a cliche. They'll lose to anybody. I mean, every year they lose a game to a, a bottom three-ranked team, it, almost every year on the clock, so you really do have to watch out. You can't get ahead of yourself. But it's hard not to be optimistic when you look at the schedule. they got the Titans next week or a playoff team, but just a team that never scares me, because I think as a Steelers fan, you really worry about the great passing attacks. No matter what era it is, at least in the modern Steelers football. It just seems like the experienced veteran quarterbacks with good offensive line playing good offensive coordinators, no matter what Steelers team you're looking at, those are the teams that really scare Pittsburgh. But when you're the Titans, when your strategy is basically run straight and then play action. I think Tomlin and Butler can get a handle for that, and you're just going to have a t- hard time pushing the Steelers around, especially when they're starting tackle Taylor Lewan's supposed to be out. So I'm looking at them, and I think the Eagles were an absolute dumpster fire. Well, I guess that's the one we should circle to be the most worried about, right? But you look at them, and and then after that, I think it's the uh, the Browns. Who I'm again, I don't care that Odell is not Odell anymore. I'm just scared of those weapons. But you look at those games, and the and. and, and this season is shaking up really nicely for the Steelers to, to get out of the gates hot, and I'm glad they've been able to do so. So from that standpoint, I think that everybody's been a little bit better every single game, and we just hope that this play-calling nonsense gets under control, and, but you've got to tip your cap to the defensive play-calling because they really buttoned up.
1: Well, there's one other little thing that I noticed that makes me feel really good about the season prospectively, and that's the fact that we have gotten past Ben's third game. I can't prove this statistically because I just haven't taken the time to look at it. But I've felt that he's always taken about three weeks to knock the rust off. And my only little bit of evidence is he did start unleashing the ball. He's Mm -hmm. still not accurate. But this is kind of typical for him in the first quarter of the season.
0: Yeah, and he's not throwing the ball to the other team as much as he would. And he's making plays. I think actually it was uglier... And like Martavis' last year when he was having all those overthrows to Martavis because Martavis was wide open. And if you remember, some of those were Martavis' fault as well. He had this weird habit of just slowing down if he didn't realize the ball was coming to him. But uh, we'll talk about Ben more in depth and some of the deep passes he missed, and if by some I mean all of them. But it's not as ugly as it was a few years ago, and maybe that's because the defense keeps you in the game or you have a little room for error, and he's still making – some big Ben-type throws throughout the game. I think against Denver, he had the one to Claypool and then the deep one where he broke the pocket to the right and threw the touchdown to Deontay, and he didn't have any of those moments this uh, past game, so that was a little bit of a bummer. But, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, You you have to look at Ben's ability to sort of navigate the first three games as a positive.
1: Can we talk about the defense first? We usually sort of go from the top to the bottom in our, our Google our Google doc. I'm going to reverse the pattern here and talk about defense because that is one where you can point to total domination. And I just want to point out time of possession Steelers 37 minutes Texans 23 minutes. And if my spreadsheet comes up, I'll tell you that that all happened in the second half.
0: Yeah, it did. I think, I don't know if Kazora put up a stat online or something, but that was the lowest time of possession for a Steelers opponent since that Bills game in 2016 in the snow where Le'Veon had like 400 all-purpose yards. Which is funny because uh, you remember when Todd Haley first started with the team and the Steelers would lead the league in time of possession, but would go 8-8 eight and eight the first two years? And we would say like, yeah, it's fine that they have the ball, but they don't score touchdowns when they get in the red zone. And the other... Sk- team usually just scores in about five plays because the defense is so bad so it's a misleading statistic i think uh there was a little bit of that this game because when Deshaun got the ball it only took him five or six throws to get down the field and score in that second quarter first quarter right but then yeah they were shutting them down and holding them down to three and out so the defense i just feel like what a great wake-up call for them the texans have good weapons yeah the line's not good But Deshaun is unbelievable at escaping pressure. And their ability to adjust to him was huge. And I think a lot of that comes down to TJ Watt and Bud Dupree and making plays that don't show up on the stat sheet. There was one play in particular in the second half where Deshaun was trying to get out to his left towards Bud's side. And Bud just kind of held his offensive lineman in place. He kept him engaged and sort of used him as a human shield and didn't try to go to tackle Deshaun Watson. He didn't make a move one way or the other because that's what Watson wants. He wants you to make a move and then he's just going to go the other way and squirt out. He just kind of played basketball defense and said, like, I'm not going to tackle you. I'm just forcing you back inside because if you dance around like this, eventually Cam Hayward and TJ Watt are going to push their guys into you. And so I thought that, that TJ and Bud did a much better job in the second half playing contained that way very intentionally. Just... Reminds me of the old days when they would play, you know, every once in a while you'd see team play Michael Vick or something, and, and the key was you just have to keep him in the pocket. And uh, you can only do that when you when you have really capable guys who can fiz- make the decision to hold an offensive lineman up and be like, oh, no, 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 I'm, you're going to go where I'm telling you to go. Like, if if you didn't have good enough edge rushers, they would just get pushed off the ball. So I thought that a lot of the ability to de- to contain Deshaun came from those guys being disciplined and then, you know, Cam, alu and Tuit just pushing in and collapsing that pocket and making the walls close in on Deshaun.
1: In the first half, he was um, 14 for 18 for 200 yards. You make a good Jeez. point. And just for context, if you look touchdowns? at the drive, uh, well, so on the three touchdowns, so out of the six possessions they had in the first half, they had three three-and-outs, And then they had three touchdowns, one of 74, 54, and 75 yards. Right. Yeah.
0: And he had two touchdown throws in a pick, and David Johnson had that touchdown run around the edge. Which, by the way, in the first half, when David Johnson scored that touchdown from the one- or two-yard line, it was another example of bad contain. It wasn't Deshaun Watson. It was the running back who just walked into the end zone around the right side. So TJ needed to do a better job on that one. Joe Hayden was slow in reacting to that one, sort of playing a linebacker position there. So... Not a huge surprise. But just in general, the the defense was a little bit undisciplined, and they just hadn't been challenged. We saw Driscoll go up and down the field on them, so they got a little taste of it during that Broncos game. But, yeah, it was nice to see them get tested that way. Uh, Do you want to go? So I think that that kind of talks about the, the front line, right? I mean, obviously, TJ made a couple unbelievable plays when he sort of split a double team and just shot out of a cannon towards Deshaun Watson. And he had one-on-one with Deshaun Watson, which nobody's going to win unless you're the best defensive player in the league, which TJ, you know, no disrespect to Aaron Donald, of course, the king, but TJ Watt is right there. To be able to have the speed to track Deshaun Watson down and bring him down, that's just an elite player kind of thing. And, of course, Bud got him a couple times, I think one and a half. And, yeah, the defensive line was their usual self. And then I'd say that having that caveat of the the brilliance of being able to – adjust to play a more contained game than a rush
1: game just to sort of put a point on it the Steelers had five sacks remember and you didn't mention but Stefan to had a sack too I mean he had a very good game that's where it showed up in statistics so they have they lead the NFL with 15 through three games last year they had six through through three games ended up with 54 just for a little bit more context um 1983, at this point, they had 17 sacks. They're high. 2020, 15. And they had, in 2005, they had 14 sacks. So they are on a torrent pace. Well, they had, listen, you know,
0: they've been making historic sack numbers for, I think, the past four years. Even when the defense wasn't good, they were hitting huge sack numbers. But they were literally getting seven sacks against Cleveland. I say it literally in the true meaning of the word. Like, they would get seven sacks against Deshaun Kaiser back in the day. Now they're just getting them against everybody. And, yeah, I mean, none of these offensive lines have been great, but this is obscene, the amount of pressure they get. So that seems sustainable. Now I'll also say I got to kind of – we got to speed up the pace a little bit here. But as far as the inside backers go – Devin Bush was much better in coverage. He got lit up by some tight ends. Noah Fant last week. He made a nice play in the end zone. I don't know if it was on Fells or someone, but a great pass break up in the end zone. Had a couple nice plays cleaning up the trash. Both him and Vince Williams had some nice blitzes. Vince Williams had a sack on Deshaun Watson, and those guys looked good. And then the secondary, yeah, they were putrid at the beginning, but they eventually locked down. And I think the guy who's sort of like, He's not the, the MVP of the year this year, but he's just a guy that I feel like has taken his game to a noticeable next level is Mike Hilton. If he is in the screen with the ball, carry, with the ball carrier, he's making the tackle. Another gorgeous tackle for a loss yesterday. And then really maybe the play of the game. I think the play of the game was Mike Hilton's interception on yet another one of those to Sean, break the pockets to the right. He's going to throw the ball across his body 30 yards downfield. And so far all of those have been going to wide open receivers. Mike Hilton makes the pick, and it was kind of downhill for the Texans' offense from there. But way too early to talk about signing players. Granted, we have talked about Hilton and, and Sutton being, you know, Free agents at the end of this year, and right now, I mean, seems like either Hilton has the huge inside track to be the priority for the Steelers, or just other people are going to notice how good he is. But he's been phenomenal.
1: I know this is impossible because we weren't in that in the locker room. But how would you rate um, Keith Butler?
0: Well, I, I I get the impression now that it's a collaborative effort between him and Tomlin, and maybe that's a Butler hater thing to say because you know we he was so bad for so long, and then. Once they, they get good, we give Tomlin the credit. But then again, that, that's not from nothing. They announced that Tomlin will be calling more of the defensive plays, and they started turning around more. Also, the hiring of Terrell Austin happened at the same time when the Steelers finally started turning this round. traded for Minka, traded for Steven Nelson. So they got a lot of reinforcements. But I look at it collaboratively as the Steelers um, – in terms of that defensive strategy. And I would say they did an awesome job. I would say that this is one of the best jobs I've seen them do in a few years because they were getting torch and they made some minor adjustments and it, it was night and day.
1: You'd like to rate things collaboratively. I rate them capitalistically, mm. as in the buck stops here. Keith is making the big bucks, so he's going to get credit or he's going to get blamed for anything defense in my Fair book enough. because Mike Tomlin gets rated on two things in my book. The post-game interview... And his challenge flags. So, like I said, I mean, actually, speaking of the postgame interview, Tom, Tom was asked, like, what did you do at halftime? And all he'd give up appropriately is we made some minor technical adjustments to our rush and coverage. But clearly they did. I mean, that was just shut down football in the second half.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of that goes back to what I was saying about the edge rushers. It's hard to get a beat on what the secondary is doing differently, you know. But you have to play a lot of zone against a guy like Deshaun because if you play man, that means you're turning your back to him and he could really run for some extra yards. He runs to throw, but if nobody's looking. I mean, the guy could rip off a 50-yard run. I'll say this. One other thing is the other guy who uh, has um, stood out besides Mike Hilton, is Tyson Alulu. He's been like he's, he's an old man who's just having a huge season. Like, it reminds me of Delaney Walker from the Titans a couple years ago. This guy's over on the other side of 30 and he's breaking out. So Alulu has been pretty great. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. And that's depressing. But. What's not depressing is there is one thing that you can control and that's shaving your bush. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. Seriously guys. I mean do I have to tell you to be a damn gentleman? Do you want what you want in this life? Well come get it with Manscaped. They're going to help you out. They're going to help you out with the Lawnmower 3.0 which is a Premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Look good, feel good, you know the rest of the saying. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and it comes with an LED light so you can go spelunking and you know just like, hey, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, Bob. Hold on. I just need to make sure I don't get caught in any rocky crags here. Let me light up the LED light and get this thing going. You can do a lot of stuff. They got their Shears 2.0 nail kit. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is they have something for everything. Don't go buy your stuff all over the place and, and, and buying it from people who haven't spent uh, trillions of taxpayer dollars on perfecting this technology on below the bell grooming. Do it at Manscaped, all right? Go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing pros, uh, products. Excuse me. In fact, actually, listeners of this show will get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code armchair. Listen, I am an actual user of this product. It's worth it. Use that armchair code. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk.
1: Horns seems to be the inappropriate word there, but I'm not going to go there. Where I'm going is the way you opened this thing, it seems to me that they should get Devin Bush to do this as a representative. They should get Devin Bush. Yeah, because he, he shaved the, the
0: ponytail. That was such a bummer. I liked him. Oh, it was unique. So ugly. Oh, he could have, that's what I was great. He could have put, a like, a blade on the end of it. I'd bet that if he brought it back, though, you'd turn around, and I'd make that bet at betonline.ag. Football is in full effect, with many of the teams strutting their stuff early. We're talking about the Pittsburgh Steelmen. The NBA Finals are here. The MLB Playoffs are in full swing, apparently. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at betonline.ag. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. BetOnline.ag. Cha-ching!
1: Your online sportsbook experts. Good news. I don't think I told you this. Hmm? would be the spread
0: well we haven't happened to do that i was actually thinking that while we were playing you know i'm the one who has it i haven't predicted a steelers uh uh 30 point game this year but when we're getting to 27 and 28 i'm pretty happy and you got to feel pretty good about that with uh with the defense playing the way it is
1: well is there no, we always bet the steelers the only thing i yeah. uh have a trouble with is picking one of the 109 and that's literally they had 109 prop bets from everybody, everything from scoring the first quarter, scoring the second quarter, who scores first, which player is going to score. Um, look, it gets too complicated. I just went for the straight up. I think we got five and a half point. We gave five and a half points, and that did not look good early on. But by the end of it, made it happen. And partially because
0: the offense was able to get a few things going in the second half. So what was your overarching view of how the offense performed? I know we did general themes earlier, but as we shift our focus into the offensive performance, uh, do you have any thoughts? I know you said that
1: there's no real main standout, but there was a lot of people contributed. Look, man, you you diversified your risk. You had everybody involved in this thing. Connor, yeah, Connor got 109 yards, and I think it was legit. People weren't giving him... um, enough credit for last week's 100 yard game but uh, 109 yards on 18 carries he had a long of 25 on one run but we saw the emergency of one Anthony McFarland a bet that may have paid off for the Steelers six attempts for 42 yards but I will say I wouldn't call this an explosion but Eric Ebron is for real and at least for one game we got our money's worth it is
0: so nice to see that connection come to life because yeah he had like 50 or 60 receiving yards but Really, the play of the game, in my mind, was the touchdown. It was an absolute gorgeous, ballsy pass. So, you know what? Earlier in the uh, episode, I said we didn't have a signature Ben throw. Well, that was actually one. So, I take it back. I mean, to actually attempt to reach the end zone on third and 15 or whatever it was, to hit a perfect pass like that, and to have Eric Ebron basically show you why they call him a receiver in a tight end's body. I mean, it was a beautiful catch and at a critical juncture in the game and so that was the play of the game but then he had a couple other nice first down catches while ben is getting crushed in the pocket and he has the confidence to hit ebron on an out route you know we're talking timing routes here he hit ebron on a couple other outs so the more they get their timing up the more encouraging it is uh, because ebron you know it just reminds me back to the ladarius green days which were about if by days i mean hours And if by hours, I mean minutes, because he had a couple minutes there where he was catching some nice bombs downfield from Ben. And uh, it's just – it takes some of the pressure off, right, that Ebron had his first touchdown. And, you know, he's excited about being here. But sometimes you worry with the Steelers' offense, like It sort of reminds me of the Killer B's era in a certain way when we were worried about people getting the ball. Like, man, there's too many good guys to go around. Are you going to have players who are unselfish enough to just keep doing their job, keep running these routes and blocking without getting the glory? Uh, So it is nice to have him get a little shine, and he really came through for them.
1: So looking at Ben, Ben was... 23 for 36, 237 yards, and two touchdowns, giving him seven on the season. If you look at the rankings, the passing rankings for the year so far, he really doesn't show up. I mean, he's – and it's – like I said before, this is what actually gives me optimism because in three games where he's usually shaking off the rust, and let's face it, he's he's shaking off the rust for more than a year of being Mm -hmm. off. I take that as a huge positive sign. The fact that he – how many – he had like three bombs basically passes over 35 yards that he at least he made an attempt to and this is this feels like me to me like a naval battleship in guam during world war ii they've got to fire off about three to five shots just to calibrate their target and that's what that feels like and i predict big things for next week you're not wrong because he's calibrated
0: over the last few years we keep bringing it up we'll keep bringing it up because it's such a jarring I wouldn't say statistics we're not citing the statistics but we used to cite them in past years right when they were happening but he does have to calibrate the bomb it seems especially when you're talking about new receivers and he's got a lot of calibrating to do because I'm pretty sure he went 0 for 8 on passes over 15 or 20 yards so yeah that's rough but it's not like he's firing it into the middle of nowhere like we've actually seen him do in some prior seasons, and he's being very efficient underneath. He is making a lot of throws right now while he's getting crushed by somebody. He had at least two or three third-down conversions, sometimes across his body, making throws that are pinpoint while he's getting destroyed by someone. So we'll talk about the line later. They've been playing very well. I'm not going to say it was the line from four years ago, but where he would, you know, he'd His jersey wouldn't even get dirty. He'd be able to stand up there and throw for 500 yards without ever getting hit. Well, now he's getting hit and still delivering. I would like to see those hits go down because I think for a 38-year-old quarterback, 39, whatever he is at this point, that's going to accumulate over the course of the season. But that's usually the first thing that goes with quarterbacks. Like Drew Brees, we know his arm's gone. Phillip Rivers, his arm was never there as well uh brady arm looks phenomenal but some of his problems last year in new england where he didn't want to get hit and so that affects your legs and that affects your ability to hang in there and make big plays ben seems willing to do that definitely need to see him calibrate the deep ball but he's taking care of the ball and he's making big plays because there are some guys you know the teddy bridgewaters alex smith where all you can say is well he's taking care of the ball well, they're not making that third and 15 strike to the back of the end zone like Ben is or the out route that he hit to uh, Ebron to convert a late third down or across his body to Juju who trucks a guy to, to get a first down. You know, so he is making plays, and hopefully we just keep seeing an uptick because if he has a game like this you know, six weeks from now, we'll have to say, listen, man, that's not going to be enough to compete with the Ravens and the Chiefs. But so far, so good with Ben
1: so we already talked about connor a little bit now, <clears throat> maybe you and i just dis- well maybe we disagree maybe we don't connor opens up with a 13 yard gain uh-huh. in the first half he was averaging 4.3 yards of carry in the second half 8.1 on the back of 25 12 and 11 yard gains. so i think uh it's a combination of good block of you know he had the guys up front he got some holes he took advantage and burst through and yep. ipso facto 109 yards
0: yeah Connor goes as the offensive line goes if they play well and they open holes he will get through them he will carry guys he'll finish runs his touchdown run was great I mean he ran through the parting of the Red Sea but some guys get tackled by the two defenders like he did and and they go down at the one or the two he ends in the end zone he's just a professional running back love James Connor who doesn't we've sung his praises for years now we've said like look he's not he's not a sexy running back He actually looks a little – he looked hobbled to me. He looked a little bit slow last game, and he's not a fast guy, but he does have more burst than uh, he has this past game. I think that's because he's playing on a damn sprained ankle and still running for 100 yards, you know. Um, So I thought that he played well. I thought that he took what was there to be had, and he fell forward when he needed to. I don't necessarily think he had any plays where – He just showed elite running back talent in terms of like, hey, it's one-on-one in the open field. He's making a guy miss or completely trucking a guy and keep running or throwing a stiff arm on someone. He didn't have any jaw-dropping plays like that, but he did a good job uh, picking up what the offensive line laid out for him. Whereas Anthony McFarland showed some brilliance in, in small bursts. His burst is... It is night and day. I said on Twitter that he's making Connor and Snell and Samuels, I guess, look like college backs with the way that he bursts through the hole. And he has, what, he's like 20 pounds lighter and stuff like that. That's what his job is. But he had like six carries for 42 yards. Like five of them were first downs. Yes, he got stuffed on the third and on uh, 198 pounds of him, but... I really hope that he gets a bigger piece of the pie. I'd like to see you know five to eight touches for him a game to help spell Connor, extend Connor, and just give the Steelers uh, you know something that they're missing with, uh, with big plays because it, it was significant. I, I, I'm already way in on him over Snell and, um, of course, over Samuels, although I will say Snell did an awesome job in the short yardage, so that role is still open for him.
1: Well, I question why we need to put in Snell or Samuels in these third down and two situations. Yeah. Snell was seven seven carries for eleven yards. Samuels was one carry for one yard. It just seems mm-hmm. like we've got to get him in there. His mom's come to the game.
0: Yeah, it's like a Dre Archer thing. They're just trying to justify their investment in this guy, and we've been it makes me feel bad because you don't want to talk about a guy like that. I'm not saying he's total garbage, but just. He doesn't do anything better than anybody else on the running back room. Like, the catching is fine. Like, you're acting like this is Marshall Falk or Avon Kamara or Le'Veon Bell. Like, look at the hand. Le'Veon Bell makes catches downfield. He had, like, a a big play for the Jets in week one where he runs a go route and catches it with tight coverage. That's not what Samuels is. Are his hands better than Connors? It's the same thing. So why are you even putting this guy in? They just seem so desperate to to find a role for him, and I just think that they're trying too hard. You have three guys who are better, and what he offers isn't so unique that it would also take one of the wide receivers off of the field. So it's just frustrating. I know he's not like Dre Archer because Dre Archer was a total gimmick guy, but it just reminds me of like, well, we, this worked one time. We really want to see this work.
1: Let's talk about Juju, who opens the game on a third and ten, pass on the left side from Ben, and does a salmon backflip for the first down.
0: Incredible. He's had I mean, how refreshing is it to see how great of a year he's having already? He already had like it's not like he's had a giant game, but he's scored in like every single game it seems like, at least the first one in this one. He's making critical third down plays. So, the salmon back jump was unbelievable. One of my favorite plays of the game. Uh last week he had the stiff arm of doom to pick up a third and 18. And you are once again seeing the value of Juju. He is just unbeatable on that crosser route. He's a new Wes Welker, a new Julian Edelman in terms of it must be so annoying to play against him, seeing how many different ways can he catch this crosser. But then he just puts people onto the ground, and he's very detailed in, in what he does, and he has such great body control. And yeah, he's getting a chance to go off, uh, which is nice with Juju. And so some people were saying this online. I think it was at Steelers Takeaways um, I forgot his first name. I'm blanking on his first name right now because we are uh, in the middle of a podcast. I feel bad. Sorry, buddy. But uh, great account with the Pittsburgh Sports Steelers takeaways. He put out a tweet that said he thinks that maybe the Steelers are struggling uh, to find an identity. Like, what do they want to do on offense? Are we at passing offense? Who's our go-to guy? And I agree. I think that that's part of it. They're trying to figure out, like, okay, how does this run? You know, they had – five or so years of really knowing the order of operations and who needed to get the ball and what made them go. And now they're trying to figure it out. But what I think is encouraging is, number one, Deontay Johnson said on Twitter that he's going to be fine. So, yes, he got injured in the game, but he should be fine. And number two, his his targets at his time of leaving, like, they didn't – double the next guy, but they're they're much higher. It was like 24 to 14 or something in terms of him versus Juju in the recent games. But long story short, they're really trying to make Deontay the featured guy. And we heard reports in practice from last week that Deontay said in one day of practice he got pretty much every single solitary ball thrown his way. They're really trying to make that work. And I know you and I agree, and a lot of Steelers Nation agrees, you see something special in this guy. He is the most dynamic playmaker the Steelers have. He can do everything. He can go short. He can go long. He can catch. He can fumble. He can juke people out. He can go for long touchdowns. I mean he is the guy that you want to get the ball in his hands. So I think that once he comes back, Ben and him their chemistry is just going to continue to ascend and he can kind of be the go-to guy. Not like AB in the pure volume, but he can be the go-to guy and then that makes Juju's role and Connor's role and Claypool's roles all more defined.
1: You brought up uh, the chemistry between Deontay and Ben. Mm-hmm. The one play that really stands out to me is the first and 10 from the, the Houston 13 when they did the reverse to, to Deontay. Uh, the injury, yeah. But Ben threw that block yeah, on never the again. left side. Yeah, never again.
0: That, that actually helped spring him. But Ben tried to make a tackle last week on an interception, and he tried to make a block. Those days are over, Ben. We'll always remember the Nick Harper tackle, but just stop it. Please. We, we, we can't spare that now. Just chill.
1: So Washington was 5 for 7 for 36 yards. Claypool had a nice catch for, one catch for 24 yards. Your leading receiver was Eric Ebron. Five receptions on seven targets for 52 yards and a tutty. Hey, Washington,
0: the stats don't tell the story. He was phenomenal, wasn't he? First off, Ben missed him on a deep touchdown, and that would have been so nice to finally see Washington get his deep touchdown from Ben. We've been waiting two years for that. He was open. It wasn't uh, wide-ass open, as Bruce Arians would say, but it was definitively open. He had to step on the two guys, and Ben just overthrew him. Ben acknowledged it in the postgame, but damn, that would have put a total, totally different uh, you know, texture on Washington's day. And hopefully Deontay doesn't have to miss another week, but it is pretty cool to see, like, hey, if, you, if one of these guys has to miss a week, you're good with the receiving corps. And James Washington had two or three catches, third down catches, where he had a guy draped all over him and then bent him backwards, like in a arachnid of some sorts, and the guy still holds on to the ball. So James Washington had a really good game. And by the way, I think that Claypool, actually I know that Claypool, led all the receivers with snaps. So I love seeing his, uh, you know, that's just going to accelerate his, his growth. In terms of just being out there. And I talked about uh, Deontay being the most dynamic playmaker that the Steelers have, but of course, I probably should have mentioned clearly this guy's the next one in line. That screen pass to seal the game where he almost fumbled out of the back of the end zone, again, I'm sure he'll get an earful about that. I'm sure he'll see the freaking Xavier Grimble replay from two years ago, which in my mind is two hours ago. It will never get on my retinas because, by the way, that indirectly led to the Ben Roethlisberger stupid postgame interview where he said he wanted to throw every ball to Juju, which led to Antonio Brown having a psychic break and leaving Pittsburgh and all this crap that occurred. So damn you, Xavier Grimble, for that. But let's rewind, going back to Chase Claypool. When he caught that scream, oh my, I mean, that's, how does this guy slip in the draft? I mean, this is elite acceleration. He just burned everybody. I'm surprised he didn't score, but he is faster and better than everybody on the field. That's the thing about him. So the quicker they can can, um, accelerate his growth, the better. But once again, has another big play. Three games, a big play in every single game. Very encouraging for Claypool, I think.
1: So we can just mention the offensive line. We've been talking about them and extolling their virtues the entire time. So Ben was sacked twice um, and was hit four times. Let me just compare that to the number of times Deshaun Watson was hit. Mm-hmm. He was hit 12 times. And maybe it's uh, all things relative, but the, the, the offensive line, I think it's impressive, right? And expectations, yeah. while maybe they weren't low, but let's face it, you kind of just had this feeling, J.J., what was going to be able to tee off but he didn't he – didn't. I think he had a tackle.
0: Yeah, and he's not J.J. Wadavolt, but he's still damn good. I mean, just looking him out there. And, of course, Chooks Akorafor. I mean, he looks like he could have been the starter all along. I mean, no offense to Banner, who we adore, but Chuks looks right at home. He's very athletic. And uh, I did see a couple other people saying this on Twitter, and I totally agree. It's time to give Sean Surrett some credit. This is really exciting that these linemen – it is still sort of the Munchak days, and, and this these aren't all just Munchak guys. I mean, some of them have played for him, sure, but, you know, Filer, I, I sort of consider him a Surrett guy, and obviously Banner and Chooks, and Wisniewski hasn't really gotten to play. It's awesome to see DeCastro's back. Wisniewski should be able to come back in a couple of weeks, and, you know, hopefully the Steelers can keep their health going and just and, and keep this up. So, yeah, offensive line You know was really noticed?
1: who was really noticeable. You mentioned Filer. I mean, he's been pulling all season so far, but I saw a lot of Pouncey pulling this game.
0: Well, that's his M.O. And again, Pouncey's probably with J.J., where it's like, hey, it's not the guy that he was in his prime, but they can still do some of their signature moves, and Pouncey, for a center, can really move.
1: So credit to uh, the offensive adjustments at halftime, the defensive adjustments yep. at halftime. The Steelers come out with a 28-21 to 21 victory to go 3-0, as you mentioned, the first time since, tw- since the Super Bowl year of 2010.
0: Right. Uh, so we, we, we have to mention the play calling, right? Like it's, it's becoming alarming. This is why I, it's so easy for everybody to jump on your coordinator. It's just a classic – football cliche, like, oh, if things are going well, oh, blend the coordinator. Uh, and then there's a faction of Steelers fans or Steelers heads, talking head type people, Twitter talking head, let's say, who sometimes want to tell people to pump the brakes on the Feetner hate because there's players that aren't executing, and I'm here to remind you again, uh, both can be possible, right? Here's my biggest issue with Feetner is predictability. When I can tell you, what play you're going to run in what situation? You hear me saying it all game, right? Up oh, Here they are. Here's Juju motioning to the right. It's, a, it's third down. It's a guaranteed drag route. It's going to happen. And they run it. And ironically, they pick up the first down to Juju. But if, my point is that if I can call that out every time, I'm pretty sure professionals will be able to call that out every time. And nothing is worse than the damn second and long running. And by the way, they picked up another first down with McFarland on a second and long run. So it's just going to encourage him to do it more. And maybe his response will be, well, it's working, so you can't tell me that it's not going to work. And I'm saying you're, you're confusing process with result there. The point is, if we can predict what you're going to do all the time, when you finally come across a good team, which you have not come across yet, They're going to know those tendencies. It's like when they ran that toss crack to Jalen Samuels against the Patriots in our lone victory in the past six decades against the Patriots, it feels like, and he ran for 130 yards, and they won the game, and then they came out last year in the opening game, and they're like, we're going to do the same thing, and they got negative yardage totals for rushing because they just try to do the same thing over and over again. That's what alarms me about Feetner. Later in the game, the Steelers went to the old Le'Veon Bell special, the the counter, out of shotgun, and they ran the Texans into the ground and sealed the game off of a bunch of 10-yard runs off of that counter, but he was literally running the play to the left and then the identical play with the identical formation and identical motion just to the right. So... Part of you can't get mad because sometimes with a run game in particular, if the other team can't stop you, it doesn't matter if they know what you're doing because it's such a physical game at that point. You just assert your damn will over them. So I don't mind you calling the same play twice in a row. But once again, these are, we've seen these bite the Steelers in the butt as they get down closer to the season. So the predictability is killing me. And it just really is time to unleash Ben. Like, just be a passing offense. They don't move, the, they're not Kyle Shanahan. Ben isn't that kind of quarterback where he just gets in that little Drew Brees rhythm. Feetner isn't the kind of offensive coordinator who knows how to sequence plays. The Steelers don't have enough discipline to run all these funky little screens consistently all the time. They either get 10 yards or negative three yards, right? But what we have seen is when it gets desperate and the Steelers get down like they've done recently, they go to the air, they come back, they win the game, and then they you know, sit on the ball or whatever it is. So... It, that is something to watch I'm just here to say that it definitively is a problem people can't say that it's not a problem but let's give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt because they can still adjust that strategy as they go on
1: we, don't let the, we can't let the podcast end without acknowledging and mourning the loss of the Kansas Comet Gale Sayers dies at the age of 77 for living with dementia Uh, hopefully you all heard of gale sayers he was uh made he was famous in his own right but obviously there was a huge made for television movie about him but gale sayers was the youngest player ever inducted into the hall of fame at the age of 34 he only played seven seasons but in that time he was a five-time all pro who averaged five yards a carry for his career and twice led the league in rushing um and that the second year, the 1969, when he had over 1,000 yards after having ter- torn both his ACL and MCL in his right knee in the previous season. That is a man.
0: I can't express to you how important it is that you go watch his highlights if you haven't. Most of the really old-school players, going to be honest, the highlights, you don't need to watch them. You, you, you know them if you need to watch them. You know the Lin Swan highlights. like Those still hold, right? Those hold water. The players have just gotten so much more athletic today that our, you know, our bar for watching a cool highlight is, is higher because Saquon Barkley jumps over people in the middle of runs like it's just a normal move he has, right? Gail Sayers is that guy. It looks like he belongs in today's game. The way he cuts, the way he, or he would cut, the way he runs, so smooth. I'm pretty sure that after his NFL career ended, he he died temporarily, was reincarnated, went to University of Southern Carolina in the 2000s under the name of Reggie Bush, and dominated there for a while, and then played a little bit in the NFL, kind of just you know haphazardly, and then went back to being Gale Sayers because he's Reggie Bush, but in the NFL, so. What an unbelievable player. I think he has, like, the, the least rushing yards in the Hall of Fame as well because his career got cut short because nobody knew how to do surgery back then. Kind of like the Chargers, you know, doctor who poked Tyrod Taylor in the lungs this past week or two weeks ago. Uh, maybe he's an old – maybe he's reincarnated it as well. But he – that just tells you everything you need to know. Like, he was that young. He didn't have the rushing yard totals, and it was a no-brainer. Oh, this guy's first ballot. So – Watch the highlights. So sad to hear he's died. What a legend. He really hasn't died because he'll live forever.
1: What name do you associate Gale Sayers with?
0: What name do I associate it with? I don't know. I, just his own. When I hear his name, I, I, I shake and I just do a little bow.
1: Well, those of my vintage have a particular name in, 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 in their mind, but I will tell you he should be associated with one Dick Buckus. Mm. Who was chosen number three by the Bears in 1965, and Sayers was taken at four. That sounds—that sounds like half of the Steelers, half That's or three of the Steelers draft in 1974. Yeah, same team. Three and said nothing but accolades for him. But the thing that everybody my age remembers is the movie Brian's Song. So Gail Sayers in um, 1969 got matched up with Brian Piccolo, a guy who fought his way onto the team from the practice squad and uh, eventually contracted cancer and had to uh, walk off the walk off the field. So very sad situation, but it's a movie you need to see.
0: Right, a Brian classic Saul. movie. Well, I'll tell you, okay, so wait, when was he drafted again? When did you say?
1: 65.
0: Okay, so the Bears were drafting in the top five quite a bit there and didn't even reach total pager until to the 80s, right? But you know that they tie, the, the Bears almost had Terry. The Steelers and the Bears were tied for the worst record in the NFL. What was it, 1969 when they drafted him? And They were tied for the worst record in the NFL. They held a coin flip to determine who would get the number one pick in the blonde bomber from Louisiana Tech and thank the football gods, the Steelmen clearly won that toss.
1: Well, interestingly, the Bears had won the NFL championship in 1963, so I didn't go back to see what happened in 1964. Yeah, I don't know if they quickly, had a complete meltdown or buckets just lasted for a long time, but it's, it's kind of crazy. Well, it's a number four,
0: right? There you go. Well, yep, look up those Gale Sayers highlights. And this week, the Steelers have the Titans, a very well-rounded team. Not a sexy team, but a very well-rounded team. Steelers can lose to anybody, we'll just say that. But I will say on this podcast here that That type of team does not scare me as much as some others do when it comes to the Steelers. Like I said, it's more about the rhythm passing offense that gets the Steelers in a lot of trouble. When you're a team that just kind of wants to run straight ahead and run deep play action, I think the Steelers will be able to get a beat on that. Obviously, Derrick Henry's a monster. Ryan Tannehill, way better than anybody had thought he was previously. Very capable of throwing the ball at any level on the field, deep, short can run, whatever. They got, I think A.J. Brown should be playing, right? So they do have some some weapons as far as that goes, but it would be nice in the fourth game here, in the, in the last game of the first quarter of the season, as the Steelers look at these seasons and quarters, it would be nice to see a little bit of an eruption. So I don't know if we're going to see it or not, but I, I think that I'm going to predict the Steelers... Whew, let's see, let's see. No, I'm going to... I guess I would say Steelers... 27-17 to 17 victory,
1: I'm predicting. Steelers giving uh, a point in this game. The over and under is 47. Visit the website, SteelersOutpost.com. Check us out on Instagram at Steelers Outpost. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers.
0: Okay, bye-bye.